So I don't know how you feel about emotions, but that is the topic for today. We're going to be talking about emotions. And yeah, maybe you feel like emotions are something that you'd be better off without them. They cause a lot of problems. They cause a lot of issues. And if you could just you know, have them surgically removed, if that was a thing, you might sign up for that surgery. Just take these emotions away from me. If there's a pill, if there's some kind of uh, you know, Vulcan training regiment you can go through to have these suppressed, you might be willing to do that. But I think that's the wrong attitude. Because God created us with emotions, and God created us as emotional beings. And so before we even get into the points in this message, doing some specific emotions, I want to kind of have an upfront kind of thesis statement here, big idea. And part of it is God has created us as emotional beings. And by that, I don't mean emotional in the sense that we sometimes say, you're being emotional and that you're just driven by emotions and you're a basket case and carried all over. Although for all of us at times, that is the case. But we are beings with emotions. And that is good. It's an important part of what it means to be a human being and to instead just become some kind of a stoic or to be a rock is not God's intention for us. You are not, uh, your goal is not to, to be Mr. Spock and have all of your emotions purged from you because emotions are given to us by God as part of our design for good reasons. And think of this world that God has put us in and all the relationships that we have And without emotions, we couldn't relate to this world, to the people around us, and especially to God in the way that God intends us to do this, to have the sense of appreciation, to have the the joy, the, the love, the wonder, all these things that we should be able to experience. And if we lived in a world without sin, if things were perfect, all of our emotions would be pointed always in the right direction. They would be nothing but sources of, of good, but we live in a world where things are broken, and that is part of the problem. We think of emotions. Theologians uh, debate if God has emotions. Now, the Bible is comfortable using our emotion words for God. Talk about God being angry or different words like that. Although we need to recognize that these words for us are not the same, they're not exactly the same as what they mean when they're used of God. So when we talk about us having uh, you know, anger, and we talk about God having anger, and there's some kind of analogy between them, but we also have to realize it's not the exact same thing that we're talking about. Our anger is, is warped, our anger is distorted, and again, this is because of sin. God created us as emotional beings, but sin distorts our emotions, and we're going to say, but they can be realigned through the Lord. So backing up here, talking about the Lord, and the Bible uses these words for the Lord, but we have to realize that God is is different from us. He is in a different category. We are finite, but God is infinite. We are changing God doesn't change. He doesn't have mood swings. We also don't want to say that that emotions are like something that is in God because God doesn't have anything that's different from God that is in God. God is who he is all the way through. 
And also, God has not fallen into sin. We are fallen into sin, which is why our emotions have gone off the rails. So when we talk about uh, anger, we talk about these things for us, and we talk about them for God, uh, we have to realize it doesn't mean the same thing for God, but also we need to not think that these are less real for God. I mean, he is the original. We are the one that came afterwards. Okay, God is the, he is the OG, okay, the original God, okay? And so whatever anger is or whatever, it, for him, it, this is God's holy disposition towards sin, towards evil in the world. And what we call anger is kind of a reflection of that, but it's, it's different, it's twisted, it gets messed up because of sin. So these are some things that we're going to look at. We're going to see that we are created to be emotional beings. Emotions are good. Sin distorts these. And so what was originally created to be a good thing, and as we look at these, we're going to see that in all of these, there's a, a good aspect to it why God would have created us with the capacity to have anger, the capacity to have fear. There are reasons for this. But sin has done a number on us. Adam and Eve fell into sin, and ever since that, we've come into this world twisted by sin. And this affects our souls, our hearts. Our hearts are pointed in the wrong directions. We love the wrong things. It also has effects on our bodies, and our bodies also have effects on our emotions. So all of this means that because sin has corrupted and damaged us, that the effects of sin also corrupts and damages and twists our emotions out of shape. And that's why I have so much problem with that. So we're going to see that the, the answer to this isn't just, you know, better therapy or take this pill, uh, but at the core of everything is the Lord. Being in right relationship to him, being renewed by the Lord, being renewed by his truth, his promises, his word, getting the day-by-day help from God, from the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're going to look at three kind of emotions today. And some of the things that Proverbs has to say about these. It won't be everything there is to say about these. Each of these could be their own series. The first I want to talk about is the emotion of anger. Talking about this, you think of anger. I've mentioned already, sometimes in the Bible it talks about God being, being angry. And we have to, again, make sure that we're not just saying, well, this is how, what I'm like when I'm angry, and that must be what God is like. Or I have, you know, my, this parent in my life or whoever, this person, my boss, whoever it is, they get angry, they're this crazy, out-of-control volcano, and man, that must be what God is like too. No, it talks about God having anger, but his anger is, it, it is, you can use that word, but it's a difference. It's not exactly the same as it is when we are angry. But if you think about anger, what's the point of anger? Is there a good purpose for it? And I think there is. I think anger, especially in a world where there is, we live in a fallen world where there is sin, there is evil, and there is injustice, that anger is something that God has given us that is a reaction to, let's say, sin, that is a reaction to injustice in this world. And for God, um, that would be true. That when God is described as being angry, he's angry at sin. He's angry at at genuine justice, bad things that are going on in the world. And let me say, you wouldn't want to have a God that's not that way. As many people say, well, I don't want there to be a, a God that's ever angry. Really, do you want a God that is not 
uh, can be described with our finite language as angry when there's so much sin in this world. If you were to be in the presence of, let's say, a child being abused, anger is a feeling that is oriented correctly in that situation. That is something, there's certain things that should make you angry in a righteous way. You still need to respond in the right way at the right time with this. But there are certain things where anger is, I think, given to us because part of it, it motivates us to, to combat evil, to combat injustice. Now, some people do that the, very much the wrong way uh, because we are sinners. So even when they've identified this is something that should make you angry, then they respond still in the wrong way. But at the core, I think there is a reason for this. We see it in God. And if we were completely spiritually in tune with God, there should also be things that do make us angry as well. But we are twisted by sin. Uh, We are messed up because of that. And so let's look at a few things from the book of Proverbs. And one point I want to give the first is that anger is dangerous when uncontrolled. It is a powerful thing. It is a powerful uh, emotion in us. And when it is out of control, it can cause a lot of damage. It is a very dangerous thing. Uh, There are a lot of Proverbs that we could look at. Just two for now. Proverbs 15, 18 A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So if you are hot-tempered, you are quick to be angry, this produces strife. It produces conflict. It makes things worse so often. Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Transgression. I can't ever say that word correctly. Sin. Causes sin. Okay? It leads to other things that are wrong. It leads us uh, to uh, iniquity. We end up going off the rails and it starts as this emotion that we let out of control and then it leads to other reactions and different things that we do that's wrong. And it just makes the world a, a worse place, the way that we respond to this with out of control anger. So thinking about this, if there's such a thing as, as righteous anger, you know, if God can be described, at least with our finite terms, as times being angry. What are ways when anger goes sideways? And I think there are at least three ways when this happens. I think one is if it is inflamed too quickly. Notice it talks about being slow to anger. And God is slow to anger. If God was uh, just quick to anger, uh, we would have been annihilated at the instant of the first sin. Think of how, many, how patient God is with us. The fact that you and I are here. The fact that he allows us time to, our, our lives to unfold, time to repent. He gives us all of this opportunity. That he hasn't just you know, blotted out um, you know, every nation on earth with just a, right now with a, a rain of fiery meteors from the sky. He's like, God is being very patient with us. He knows these things that are wrong. Uh, but he is giving us time. He's giving us time to repent. So one way that anger goes sideways when it's inflamed too quickly, and so that's something in our lives we have to watch out for. If we want to be more like the Lord, it's not just going off uh, at the, the, the first sign of anything that makes you upset. 
God is long-tempered. Another way that anger goes sideways is when we respond uh, to the wrong things. Uh, when they create a, it creates a wrong response in us. Let's say one is given to anger causes much uh, transgression. So that instead of responding in a constructive way, in a way that is righteous before the Lord, so often we, we retaliate. We get back at the person or we, we escalate things. Uh, we respond in a way that is just not healthy. And so even if you have um, you know, something that you say, well, this is a genuine injustice, this is an evil, you can still sin by responding to that in the wrong way. So you could respond at the wrong time too quickly, okay? You could respond in the wrong way. But also a third way that anger goes off the rails is just we respond to the, the wrong things. That instead of something that is genuinely evil, instead of something that is genuine injustice in the eyes of the Lord, so oftentimes it's just, this, isn't, this is something I don't like. You know, you're disrupting my personal preferences or my desires. And we call it, we, in our minds it's evil, or in our minds it's injustice. Uh, but in God's mind, it really isn't. So we're responding against the, the wrong things. So in any one of these ways, anger can go sideways. Whether it's responding to the wrong things, responding at the wrong time, or responding in the wrong way. But anger is, is dangerous and powerful when it is uncontrolled. So we need to control it. Proverbs talks about that. And let's just know that it is an important achievement to control the emotion of anger, because it is a powerful thing. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. If you can be slow to anger, okay, so you're not responding quickly just to every little irritant that is out there, you know, gets your, your full wrath. Um, and most things definitely shouldn't. We need to have things we just let go, things we let slide, things we talk ourselves down, because uh, most of the time it isn't this huge injustice that has to be dealt with. The word for uh, slow to anger, literally in Hebrew, is long of nostril. And so there's some imagery there that if you're short of nostril, it's just you're, you know, you're, you're blowing up quick. So long of nostril has this idea of you, you take your time. You're not reacting real quickly. And then when it says, he who rules his spirit, that's the idea of he who controls his emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's something else. God doesn't want us to be controlled by our anger or by any emotion, but we need to control that. And it's a big deal, and it's a hard thing. And this proverb is letting us know that uh, if you think that conquering and taking over a city is a big, important, monumental difficult conquest, uh, controlling your emotions and ruling that is a big, huge conquest as well. And actually something that is a greater conquest and more important. So be fighting that battle against your emotions. Don't just let them take you wherever it is. Well, this is how I am. I'm a you know, hot-tempered person. I call it as I see it. Blah. No, God wants you to be in charge. God wants you to work on your inner life and your thoughts be able to talk yourself down, to control yourself, 
And it is, it's hard. It's a big deal. But God is here to help us with this. Another proverb. Proverb 22, 24 through 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. I think this is helpful advice for us, too, to realize that anger, I mean, wrong anger, is contagious. It's infectious. And we need to watch who we're around, that if you're in the wrong situations, that it can rub off on you, and you can start responding in these ways. Sometimes you're not able to control it. Maybe your work situation or uh, where you're at, you're just, you're around these people. Uh, but that means you need to be extra careful that you're not uh, changing to the ambient temperature in the room and just becoming like those that are around you. It's so easy to do. So we need to watch that. I think it's online as well, too. There are some social media sites that all of a sudden just will instantly make you into an angry, mean person because that's just the vibe on the whole place. So you have to watch that. And also, what is the impact that you are having on other people? Are you agitating the people around you and causing them to become more you know, emotionally unstable or angry at different things, that this is just normal and right? Parents, what about our kids? How are they seeing us respond? So there are times where we need to catch ourselves. We need to repent. We need to apologize to our kids. We need to watch that because our kids grow up angry. Guess who they're probably getting that from? So we need to watch ourselves, control ourselves for the good of those around us, and parents especially for our kids. It's a big deal. It's a hard thing. God is here to help us with this. And one way, there's so many other things we could talk about, but one way to realign anger is by putting ultimate justice in God's hands. If anger is a response to what we perceive as evil or unjust, uh, well, there's a lot of things. First of all, we need to be tuned to God's word so that we actually know what is actual evil or what is actual injustice and what is the right response at the right time in the right way. But there's so many things where it is not something that we are going to be able to, to solve the problem. And so no matter how angry you get about something, there's still going to be evil, there's still going to be injustice in the world, and we can let that just uh, keep us in this perpetual state of where it becomes rage, and part of the solution to that is realizing and reminding ourselves that evil will not go unchecked forever. That God reigns and that he is ultimately in charge of this. That one day he will, he will put down evil, he will deal with it, he will make this world right. Now that doesn't mean be passive. You know, there are times where we need to do things. There are times where we need to step in and help. And we need to have our, our minds and spirits tuned to God so we know when that is to do it the right time in the right way. But there's so much that is out there. So there's some verses. Proverbs 20, 22, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. There's times when we have to realize that, you know, just no amount of, you know, even righteous anger is going to solve this problem but we can wait for the Lord. We definitely don't want to respond in kind, evil for evil. That's our natural tendency. But especially we need to realize that, that God is in control. He is with us. He has our back. And as it says in other places in Scripture, 
that God is the one that will avenge one day. That if somebody doesn't repent, if there isn't change, and that's what we want, that's what we hope for and pray for and work for, but eventually God is the one that will deal with the situation. Another passage, Proverbs 25, 21 through 22, says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, some of you might be thinking, who is it? I thought that was from the book of Romans. Oh, isn't that the end of Romans 12? Yes, it is. Because uh, Paul is quoting here from, from Proverbs. But let me read you the end of Romans 12 as, he, as Paul puts this all together. Scripture being one unified whole. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's from Deuteronomy 32.25. Remembering that God is in control. Ultimately, he is the one that will deal with this. There will be a day of judgment that is coming. And this frees us up now to try to do good in other people's lives, hoping that it will make a difference hoping that it will possibly be something that the Lord uses to change them so that they will turn to the Lord, so that their consciences will be moved, so that they will have uh, repentance. If you have an enemy, how much better is it if they come to know the Lord, they repent, they change, and maybe you change too, so that you are, you're healed in this relationship? I mean, that is the first goal. But if that's not what is going to happen, evil will be taken care of by the Lord. And so you can put it in his hands and not feel that we are the ones that we have to dish out the justice. We can leave that to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will pay, says Lord. To the contrary, this is Paul again in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. This is our enemies. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The imagery of the burning coals, I mean, what does this mean? That sounds like, you know, terrible. Like, I'm going to really get back at it. If I do good things, it's going to be like dumping fire on them. But I don't think this is uh, saying that uh, it's going to be heaping punishment upon them, although that will be the result if, you know, they stay hostile, you know, to the Lord forever. But probably it has an idea of that it will work in their conscience, that it will be something that, you know, will, there'll be pangs in their conscience that maybe the Lord will use uh, to turn them, to help them to realize that what they're doing is not right, as you treat them with good while they're treating you with evil. This is what God calls us to do. This is against human nature, fallen human nature at least, and we need God's strength and grace to do this, to treat our enemies this way. Remember how God treated us while we are still his enemies. Christ died for us on the cross. And so we can treat our enemies well. So we need to let God, through his spirit and by the word, help us to respond to the right things at the right time and in the right way. So anger, anger is a tough thing. Jealousy is also something that is really hard, really damaging. 
jealousy. It's an emotional reaction, let's say, to what we think should be ours. There's something, whether it's jealousy, whether it is uh, envy. You know, God himself stated that he is a jealous God. So I have to acknowledge that. That's in Exodus 25 in the giving of the Ten Commandments. I think, well, what does this mean? And it must mean also that there is an aspect of jealousy, uh, not what we normally experience, that is righteous and good. When it says that God is jealous, it means it in the sense that he is unwilling to share his glory uh, with the false gods, with the idols. And that's a good thing. It would be messed up if God says, well, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to share with all these false demon gods. You find your joy in them. You find your happiness in them. No, that's, the truth is, the glory does belong to the Lord. It is his. And it's okay for him, it's good for him to, to guard that in a way that we describe as being jealous. And God is, is zealous for that. You know, another way we might talk about jealousy um, in a way that's not necessarily sinful, sometimes, uh, okay, for a husband or a wife, you should be unwilling to let your spouse get romantic with someone else. Okay, there is a proper and good type of jealousy there. Not in a distorted way where, uh, you know, you look at somebody wrong and you're getting out the baseball bat. That's not what we're talking, that type of, you know, jealous husband. But yeah, there is a certain point where it says, yeah, we made these vows and you are for me in this way and I am for you and for nobody else. And I'm going to guard what is supposed to be ours. So there is a appropriate type of uh, this type of jealousy, but most of the jealousy we see in the world is is sinful, is distorted, and really what would be what we would call covetousness. You know, breaking the tenth commandment. We think what you have that ought to be mine. I need that. I deserve that. You shouldn't have that. That sh- that should be mine instead. Or we make a th- something whether it's a possession, whether it's status, an achievement, we make that into an idol. And it's something that we want and it just consumes us. And jealousy or envy is something that is consuming. Envy rots your own bones. And I say it this way because Proverbs 14.30 says this. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It makes you miserable on the inside. It destroys you. It, it has effects on you. It's been pointed out that of, the, uh, of sins and in the, the, the so-called seven deadly sins, that envy is the only one that's actually no fun at all. He says the other ones, at least, you know, while you're doing it, it can be fun. You know, whether it's uh, you know, lust or whether it's gluttony or whatever, you're at least having your, your fun for the moment. I mean, later on there's consequences and it's not worth it. But envy, you're just eating yourself alive thinking about something that you don't have and you want it. And it's no fun at all. It, it eats away your soul, your, your, yourself from the inside out. That's why it's described in this Proverbs as making the bones to rot. Proverbs 27.4 Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. Okay, so those things are bad. But who can stand before jealousy? That jealousy is powerful. It is terrible. And jealousy can make people do some, some awful, terrible things. Some of you are too young to remember this. But back in the 90s, there were these two figure skaters. 
Okay, some of you know where I'm going with this. Tanya Harding and there was Nancy Kerrigan. And they were rivals and the Olympics was coming up and the, the world national championships. And so this one figure skater, uh, Tanya Harding, uh, I think her and her husband, they hired some thugs that waited for this other figure skater to get done with practice. It happened in Detroit, I think it was 92. And she came out and they ambushed her with like, a police baton and like smashed her in the, in the knee. And she wasn't able to compete at the national championships. She recovered in time for the Olympics and I think won the silver medal. And later it came out that, yeah, this other, um, you know, Tanya Harding, the other figure skater that was jealous and wanted to remove the competition, had, had, they had worked to hire these people to do this. Well, how low is that? Uh, the late the, um, Nancy Kerrigan, who had her knee smashed, she went on to win the silver medal. And later on, Tanya Harding got just completely banned from competitive ice skating, but just think of the crazy things that envy makes us do. And it goes all the way back. I mean, you think of sin coming into this world. You think of even before that with, you know, Satan being envious of God. You know, who is he to receive all the glory? You know, that Lucifer is, I, I'm a powerful, beautiful, angelic being. Shouldn't I get my share of this? You think Adam and Eve when they're being tempted, you know, it's why should God be the only one with this, you know, this knowledge and all this goodness? You know, we should be able to get a piece of that too. Yeah, Satan's telling them, you should be able to get a piece of this. Cain and Abel, and it goes through out Scripture and into our lives. Envy, jealousy can make us do awful, awful things. But a jealous heart can never be cured by just receiving what it thinks will satisfy it. A jealous heart's never cured by getting... Uh, what it thinks will satisfy it. That's the lie that is told that if you receive, if I just get this one thing, then I'll finally be happy. But it's not like that. Scripture warns us of this. Proverbs 27.20, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. These are Old Testament words having to do with like the realm of the dead, you know, the grave, the afterlife. And it says, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. So if you think of Sheol and Abaddon, let's just say they symbolize like the grave, people dying. People keep dying. Okay, it's not like the grave ever says, you know what, I've had enough. That's been enough death for now. I've never been to a funeral, to a burial, where afterwards, you know, when the coffin's loaded, the ground says, you know, I'm full, no more, I'm good. It keeps taking people. And in the same way, that if you try to satisfy your envy, your jealousy, just by feeding it, it's never going to work. There's always going to be that next thing. And our society is designed that way. Uh, You know, media, advertisements, products are always designed so that, oh, you need this new thing, you need this new phone, you need this new device now. But they're going to make sure that two years from now you're unsatisfied with this. And now you need the next thing, and on to that. So the solution to having these feelings of jealousy, envy, isn't just to, to feed it. You have to go a different direction with this. So if we want to talk about having our attitude realigned with this, a big key is that realigning jealousy, we need to do this by finding contentment in the Lord. Not by feeding it, by, by finding contentment. Proverbs fifteen sixteen through 17. Better is a little 
with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. It is, it's better to just have not much, but you're fearing the Lord, you're, you're loving him, than to have you know, this, all this treasure and the trouble that comes with it. And then it says in verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than fatten ox and hatred with it. We looked at half of this already. Proverbs 14, 30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. We said envy makes the bones rot, but notice the first half of this. Having a tranquil heart, having, having contentment, that this is something that's positive, this is something good. It's, it refreshes the spirit. So we want to have contentment. We want to be happy with what the Lord has given us. You can still aspire to different things if you do it the right way and with the right attitude. It's still okay to say, I'd, I'd like to have this if God would allow me to have this in the right way at the right time. But we need to be okay with, first of all, not having it. Being okay with what the Lord has given us. Having the attitude of, of thankfulness, of gratefulness. And when we recognize the Lord, and we recognize that I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve my house. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve any good thing. What I deserve is to be in hell right now. Any of these gifts that God has given me, this is all bonus. This is all grace. And if God took things away from me, he would not be doing me any evil against me because he doesn't owe me these things. And that helps us to be content for what God has given us at any given time. So that's, that's the secret. That's the secret to happiness dealing with jealousy is being content, thankful for what you do have, and then holding that loosely, not making it that, uh, oh, I have this, and so I've got to guard this, and this now it becomes, this is my precious, and you better not take it away from me. Then you're making it into an idol. But instead, putting your focus on God and fearing him. So learn contentment, learn thankfulness, and see the good things that you have, whether it's your possessions, whether it is uh, other things, that, um, any of these things as gifts from the Lord. Last, talk a little bit about fear. Think of fear. Fear, you know, unlike anger and jealousy, there is no pure version of fear in God. I mean, God fears nothing. However, there is a good and godly fear that he wants us to have. It is good to have a proper fear or respect for something that can harm you. It keeps you out of trouble. It keeps you from doing foolish things. And the most proper fear of all is fear of God. That is the ultimate good fear that we need. So fear can be an an emotional reaction to what we think can harm us. And sometimes it is legitimate you know, it's probably good not to go too close to that, uh, that lion, okay? Uh, and sometimes it can be irrational. We're afraid of things that really we shouldn't be all that afraid of. But uh, fear, there's a reason for it. It keeps us out of trouble. It helps us to have a healthy respect for things that could harm us. So the fear of the Lord, that's definitely a good thing. Being on the wrong side of the Lord is the worst trouble you could get yourself into, and even as Christians, when we know that he is no longer this, a judge, he's not against us, but he is our father, still we recognize that we want to be in right relationship with him. That if we sin, we start rebelling. That as a good father, he's going to do what it takes to help us to turn. And if that means tough love, that's going to be tough. And so we have a, still a healthy fear and a healthy respect for him. That's a good 
and godly fear there. On the other hand, the unrighteous, those that are not right with God, there's a sense that I believe they live in constant fear, at least deep down. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I know there'd be a lot of people that would deny that, say, I don't live in fear. But I think the way that people live their lives, deep down, that is the case. Because nobody can erase from their heart the deep knowledge that God exists. The most that they can do is try to deny it. They can try and suppress it, try to pretend like it's not there. But deep down, if you are not right with God, you know that's the case. And it's going to bubble up in all these different ways in your life that are going to cause other reactions and emotions and different things because you're trying to, to push off this deep thing that you know you're not right with God, that you know that there is a day coming when there will be judgment. And so people, they try to, uh, to quench that, to disguise that in different ways whether it's through their achievements, whether it's through pleasure, whether it's through uh, opioids, whether it's through entertainment, all these different things. At the core, there's an uneasiness because they're not right with the Lord. We try to protect ourselves. We live life to try and mask this. So, of course, I need to ask you, do you know the Lord is your Savior? Or are you still living as God's enemy? And he does not want you to be living as an enemy to him. If you're an enemy to God, it is because we have made ourselves his enemies. and We have kept our back turned to him. That God has turned to you. He's demonstrated his love for sinners by dying on the cross for us. And that if you turn to him, that you respond to him, you will find that the Savior is waiting there with, with open arms you'll find that the Savior has paid the price in full for you when he died on the cross, that he paid it all, that he is there, that he loves you despite your sin, despite everything that is wrong with you, and he knows even more that is wrong with us than we do. And he still loves you. So the first thing you need to do is believe God's promises, believe his love, and turn to him. So do you know the Lord Jesus as Savior? And when you do, it says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Because once you realize that now you actually have God on your side, that you have him, that he has your back for whatever is good and whatever is right. And even if the worst things in this world befall you, that the worst that will happen is he will take you into his glory forever. That gives you a boldness that helps you to overcome fear and, and view things in a totally different way. Bold as a lion. but we have still things we struggle with. We have fear, we have anxiety. Anxiety is something that can be combated by true words of hope. Proverbs twelve twenty five says this, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It's been said that anxiety is, is worry mixed with fear. And it's a common thing. And even in Christians, we can have this. And sometimes there's no reason for it. Other times you can say, yeah, there's reason for it. Uh, There's things that are wrong in this world. There's things that are wrong. There's news that we get. There's possibilities of things, in a sense, going bad. 
because we live in this fallen world. And we can be worried about that um, in the wrong way and let that consume us, to let it drag us down. And I think an antidote for this, it says, is a good word makes him glad. So I'm describing this as a good anxiety being combated by good words, by true words of hope. Not just wishful thinking, okay? Things are going to be okay. This thing isn't going to happen. But we have true words. We have promises from God that, that make a difference. We have God's promises that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We have God's promise that whatever evil befalls us, in a sense, not a hair of our head shall perish because God will take you into his kingdom. He will, he will resurrect us one day. That even if God allows something hard into our lives, he doesn't do it unless there is a good, important purpose that he plans to use for our good, for his glory, and probably for the good of many others as well that it's an important part of the story and he will be with us and he will walk through us through all these things. So these good words, these true words, we get them from scripture. We can get them from other Christians that remind us of these truths that maybe are telling us something that we already know, but we need to hear it again. We need to be telling ourselves, preaching these things to us. It's a way to combat these feelings so that we're not just taken captive by these emotions, but we can be preaching to ourselves, yes, this is hard, this is something, but God is in control, that God is good, that God is working his purposes through all these things. So speak those good words that are true. Believe those good words that are true. That doesn't mean that it's going to make everything just completely disappear easily and automatically, but it's part of this is how we deal with these difficult feelings and emotions living in a broken, sinful world. And then finally, if we're talking about realigning, repairing the, the twisted emotions that we have, at the core of this is realign fear with the confidence that comes from the fear of the Lord. Proverbs fourteen twenty six: In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. So you know the Lord, you respect him, you realize he is the powerful one. That, yep, if you were against him, he could mess you up. It would not go well. But now if he is on your side, if he is on the same side of the scrimmage line as you, he's on your team, he's got your back, you're with him, that gives you confidence. That changes everything. And then Proverbs 9.10. And we talked about this at the beginning of the series. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the good fear that you need. Ultimately, God is the answer to everything. Know him, trust him, let him transform not just your emotions, but your entire life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you've created us with emotions And because of this, we can know you, we can love you, we can take joy in you, we can treasure you in a way that we would not be able to do if we could not respond to you in this way. But Lord, we admit that sin has twisted our emotions and we need your help to straighten this out. And we know we're never going to have all this fixed in this life, but 
thank you for being at work. Be at work in our lives, in our emotional lives, through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, save us and help us to grow, Lord God. Be with anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, and I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And then for all of us, help us to respond emotionally in the right way. Be at work in us. Help us depend on you. And thank you that you are such a good God. And that for those that have trusted you, we know that you have our back. You demonstrated this by dying on the cross in our place. Knowing you, we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. We can be content in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.